We all have big dreams, but far too often we never give them a chance to come true. Well, that all changes today. Welcome to Just Keep Learning, where we'll help you develop the right mindset, be more productive, and learn more effectively so you can accomplish anything. Here's your host, Justin at Just Tries. Welcome to everyone in our JKL family. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. Just a quick reminder that thanks to some feedback and ideas from the community, we're starting solo episodes in between interviews. So be sure to check them out if you want some quick hitting 10-ish minute topics on anything that you request. The episode cards are all white and only have a cartoon of me instead of guests on them. And if you have something or someone you think would be a great fit for the show, just let us know. Our guest today started out in the world of engineering and made a career pivot to the insurance world, eventually finding his heart was more closely tied to business. This led to a classic grind of managing minutes on train rides to work, lunchtime, the ride home, evenings and weekends to build up some side hustles. Through trial and error, a few failures and eventual successes, he managed to make serial entrepreneur his full-time career. He's the founder of eight businesses and counting, many of which we discuss in this episode. The main business that brought us together is called The Entrepreneur Ride Along, where he hosts a podcast, blogs, and coaches people to get started in their own business journey. We chat a lot about how to get clarity over your business idea, how to create content, and how to start generating revenue. Please welcome to episode 26, Jake Lang. Yeah, so first off, uh, thank you for being here with us today. I always like to give people an opportunity to introduce themselves. If I were to bring you in as a keynote speaker to a college class, let's say for business, uh, how would you tell them who you are and kind of what you do? Yeah, I would say, hi, I'm Jake. I'm an entrepreneur. I've started eight online businesses. I started when I first graduated college back in 2014. And now I teach other people how to start online businesses. It's what I love doing. It's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I do it full time now. So I'm just going to keep building businesses and teaching others how to do the same. So what's the main style through which you do that in terms of teaching? Do you do coaching? Do you create content? Is it a little bit of everything? Yeah. So for the entrepreneurship side, for uh, teaching people how to start their first business. It's a little of everything. I have a, a couple of courses and it's also coaching. I prefer the coaching because I like the one-on-one connections, getting to know people. I love talking to other entrepreneurs, talking business ideas and talking crazy ideas. I can scale them, make, make anything work and build a business from it. So I do a lot of one-on-one coaching, group coaching, where I'll bring four or five entrepreneurs together and we go through the process of finding an idea and, and launching that first business. Just published a book and I got some courses where the book kind of leads into the courses and how you take that next step. So, so a little bit of everything is how I'm doing the teaching right now. I'm sure we'll get more into kind of that engine of growth for you and the business model, so to speak. But what was it that drove you into becoming an entrepreneur in the first place, do you think, versus the sort of traditional career? You know, honestly, well, I worked a traditional day job for my first seven years out of college. And just this past April is when I finally took on business, my entrepreneurship ventures full time. So it was something I was building on the side because I realized after going through all the formal education process, graduating uh, from the University of New Hampshire, I started my career as a financial analyst in the insurance industry, which sounds a lot cooler than it really is. I went through the traditional education path. I just kind of figured, all right, this is really the only way to go. You just, you get your education, you go sit at a desk for the rest of your life and, uh, typical corporate path. And I went into the finance field thinking, I love research. I love business. I want to go make some cool business decisions and I want to you know, grow a business, make them money and uh, watch the business grow. Quickly learned that's not what really any corporate job, especially first year out of college, first uh, new, new employees at the company, you're not really doing any of the cool stuff. And as a financial analyst, you never really do. You just kind of sit in Excel all day and crunch numbers and you're just creating reports and passing it up the ladder to your manager who passed it up to their manager and then to the next manager. And it's just that churn. And I hated that. I, I just couldn't stand the, the sitting at the desk and not really doing anything meaningful, not working on what I was passionate about and not having to say to really build my own projects and do... I guess be creative on my own. Like you can as when you start your own business, you can be creative, going in any direction you want. Like I do now, I talk to other entrepreneurs, meet new people, new projects, whatever I want to do. That's a lot more fun. So I started that on the side back probably it's, it was 2015. I started tried to start my first website. Didn't work, tried it a couple of times until I finally got one working, fell in love with it, the whole online business space. And then like I said, I've built eight different businesses since some work, some didn't, until I finally got enough that were uh, supporting me financially, replaced my day job, and now I do it full time because it's just a lot more fun to have that creativity on the, the entrepreneurial path is what I found. 
allowing yourself to be able to kind of think outside the box and do anything that's fully aligned with yourself is definitely why a lot of people say they love that path. When it came to that first website, I'd love to hear more about sort of what it was you were trying to launch at that time and what ended up happening that helped you learn from it, quote unquote, not working. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work at all, but it was a an incredible learning lesson. And it's what got me hooked on entrepreneurship because I was like, wow, this is a lot of fun. I, I was excited to go home from my job and work on this other business that I was trying to build. I was a lot more excited for that than I was to, to go to work in the morning. The the first one was, what was it called? I think it was called Buy Direct MailAdvertisingLeads.com or something like that. I had uh, access to this platform through my university where I could basically export a giant Excel list of residential and commercial addresses for any zip code. My thought was at the time, like, oh, cool, I got access to this this tool. I can sell these leads to small businesses. I can go to pizza parlors, CPAs, ice cream shops, whatever's in the neighborhood. Say, hey, here's your target market. Here's a big list of addresses that you can sell direct mail advertising to for your, your new pizza joint or whatever you just opened up. That was my idea. I created a whole website around it, bought the domain, started blogging, creating content. And then I went out and started trying to sell my service to people and nobody wanted to buy it. Nobody needed it. There was absolutely no need for what I was trying to sell because uh, there's this thing out there called Google, which everyone's familiar with, where you can just get all these addresses for free anyways. Nobody is willing to pay me money to get what they could already get for free out there. Plus, a lot of them already had marketing departments that were sending out these flyers and already had their leads all aggregated and they had their campaigns down. So me coming in, some young kid just walking in here saying, hey, give me money. I'll give you this Excel file full of addresses. I was laughed out of the building. But it was a great learning experience because I just assumed that I knew what people needed and needed to buy. And I just assumed I would walk in there and start making money by giving them anything. I didn't talk to anybody first before I started this business. Didn't talk to my target market or validate anything or even ask what they were struggling with and what I can help with. I just kind of came in and said, hey, buy this from me and I'll, I'll, I'll make your life great. And uh, everybody was like, no, it didn't. It doesn't work that way. We don't need your service. So didn't make a single sale. Spent a, a couple maybe a, a, maybe two months on it at most. So it wasn't a ton of time. I had a lot of fun doing it, but I realized right away, oh man, I'm off the mark here. Nobody needs what I'm selling. So this is not the right business for me. It's really interesting to kind of peel back the curtain a bit with these failures because you see a lot of people, you know, they'll tweet or they'll post something like we learn from failure or failure can be a really important learning tool. But to have somebody actually open up the details to those experiences is pretty special. So I thank you for doing that. Do you know, was it the next business that took off? Like I know there's seven or maybe eight now businesses, but do you kind of know them in succession? So what came after that one? I do. The next one also failed. The next one uh, was I tried to go for a clothing line. I feel like everybody everybody does a clothing line at some point. So I was no different. I tried to sell made to measure men's button up dress shirts online, which I had no business doing because as a broke kid right out of college, I had never gotten a shirt tailored myself. So I had no idea what tailoring a shirt even even meant or, or how to do it. But I knew that I had a problem. I would you know go to Macy's or whatever and, and buy a shirt off the rack and it would never fit right. It always be too big around the, the waist, too long on the arm. So I thought it was, okay, I'd, I don't want to go to a tailor, but I would go to somebody online and um, have them put in my measurements and just ship it right to me because I don't want to go to the store and talk to a tailor. I got an, again, I got a website up and running. I this time talked to my target market. I started surveying, talking to people and I was like, oh, I'm onto something. People have the same pain point as me. Got to figure out how to do this. Got to figure out how to uh, solve this problem that men in particular for me, I'm tall, I have big lanky arms and I'm skinny. So none of the dress shirts fit me. So that was kind of my target market is guys like me where normal dress shirt just, just doesn't fit. So I got a website up and running. I actually got two or three sales for people where I was pre-selling at this time. And I was like, Hey, you buy it. I'll, I'll deliver it. I'll figure out how to make it work. Got two or three sales right away. And then realized I had no, absolutely no clue what I was doing. And I was trying to figure out how to buy dress shirts and get them tailored and ship them to these people. I had no clue how to measure somebody for tailoring their shirt. So I didn't even know what to ask once people paid me. So I talked to a couple tailors and talked to a couple online retailers that would tailor the shirt for me if I got them the right sizes. And it was just way out of my league, way too complex. And I refunded the three people and said, hey, sorry, our business is closing down. I don't know what I'm doing. But that was cool because that was the first time I actually got something up there and people showed interest and I made that next step. But again, just, just wasn't the right business for me. So I, I ended up shutting that one down too. 
For those listening and not watching, I'm grinning ear to ear because I've been there. I started the clothing line myself and can appreciate a lot of that. Like you said, that we all try it at least. And I do think I'll circle back to it someday in the future, some aspect of clothing, which is cool. It's neat though, because you added the idea of solving a problem and speaking to target market in that second attempt, which is super cool because it's almost like you added something that time. So I hate to ask, but this is such a cool kind of trend we have going. What can after that. All right. Third time was the charm. This time I got it. I, I, I figured out what I was doing this time. So a third one is actually still my most successful business to date. Still have it, still operating, just all passive income, pretty much runs automatically. It was um, I was working in the insurance industry as a financial analyst and I had to take these exams called the CPCU exam, which is basically some, some insurance exams. You get a certification. My employer was paying for it. So I was studying for it because they would give me a bonus if I finished the designation. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll do this. Uh, it's eight exams long. As I was studying, I realized I really hate the study material. It's these textbooks. It just, I mean, imagine reading about insurance in your spare time. It's its not fun. So it was just really boring, dry, tedious. And having already tried the whole website thing, online business thing a couple of times, my mind was searching for that next idea and my light bulb, the, the light bulb went off that, okay, there might be something here. If I think this is miserable, I bet other people do too. So from my first two failures, I learned talk to people first, validate first, see if people are interested. I just started talking to all my coworkers that were taking the same exams. Everybody had the same complaints. The study material was just too long, dry, and complex. The exams were only 85 questions, but you had to read this 500-page textbook, so like half the material wasn't in the exam. It's all fluff, so you waste weeks studying something that's not going to be on the exam. And the practice exam questions just don't prepare you for the actual exam. The sample questions they give you are really, really simple. You can get 100 on the, their quizzes, no problem. Then you sit down for the real exam, and it's like a totally different concept concepts, totally different questions, way harder than what you studied. So the exam ends up being really hard. And that was the same response I got from everybody I talked to. I ended up going online, joined these communities, talked to other people studying for these exams. I thought, okay, I might be onto something here. I see that people are struggling to pass these exams and the study material is awful. So I went out and I created my own online courses, took everything that I learned from the insurance industry, taking these exams myself, and I wrote my own courses and created my own practice exam questions. And I started selling my own courses to help people pass these exams. That is still going today. It brings in five, six, seven thousand $7,000 per month in recurring revenue, just passive income, because it's all automated courses where people just come to my website, buy my courses, pass their exam, and they come back for the next next exam because there's eight of them. Uh, so that one's still going today, running really well. And I'm actually doing a little bit of a marketing push right now to try and scale that even higher, trying to grow that business even more. That's still my best performing business to date. And let's stop there for a second, because I think creating online courses is one thing that a lot of people hear when they think of possible revenue concepts in online business. When it comes to those courses, do you host them on your own site? Do you use a, a third party platform? How do you approach it? So that's a change I actually just made this year is I used to host them on my website and my website just grew too big. I was getting too much traffic that the courses being hosted on my own website were getting bogged down because there was just so much content there and these courses are really big and there's practice exam questions there. So there's a lot of clicking and loading and it was just taking too long to run all that on my own website. So just this year, I moved over to the Thinkific platform, which is self-hosted by Thinkific. Uh, so basically the users join on my website and then they click to access their course. It, it takes them over to a similar looking page on Thinkific and that just runs so much more smoothly. It's it's making a big impact on user experience because I used to get complaints once in a while where somebody's trying to study and they're like, hey, it takes five seconds every time I try to click to the next practice exam question, which you can imagine is really frustrating. This, it, it's seamless. You, you click you know, milliseconds, you're on the next question, you're on the next page. So I, I think that'll be a big help this year and just seeing as more and more students start to use the new version of this online course, it'll help convert them and, and make them come back to buy the next course because they'll have a good user experience. So that's a recent change this year. And because it became kind of one of your successful engines of growth, so to speak, uh, what was the way in which people started finding the courses? Was it from content you were creating or what was the way to drive traffic? Yeah, all content creation. So I really like writing. So blogging is usually my method of content creation. I just went out and talked about my own experience, taking these exams, passing these exams. And since there's eight of them, I would usually write about four or five blogs per exam. And the first one is called the CPCU 500. That's just the name of the exam. First one in the series. So I would write about my experience passing the exam, what was difficult about the exam, the most important topics of the exam, types of questions you'll see on the exam. And 
because I was using that keyword, the CPCU 500 keyword, not many people were writing about that. It's very specific. There's not a lot of people out there talking about this specific exam. Google picked it up and through SEO, search engine optimization, I just started ranking on Google. So when people search CPCU 500, my website shows up there, number one or number two, and people start reading my blogs and then they get on my email list. And then when they're on my email list, I give them all my free information. Hey, here's a bunch of stuff to help you pass your exam for free. Oh, and if you want to, you can buy this online course and you'll really pass your exam because this is the perfect course. So that's kind of the, the marketing flow there is they, they find me organically, email list, then buy the course. When it comes to recounting, not necessarily all of them, I mean, you could, but like, what are some of the other businesses? Because there's eight, we've tackled three already. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the other things that you're up to? I'll give you one more just because it's a funny little niche and I'm still operating that one today. And that is a website about the Pomsky dog breed. It's a mix between a Pomeranian and a Husky. And I love dogs. I own dogs. I've, I've actually got four dogs, me and my wife, but, uh, Never owned a Pomsky. When I started this website, I'd never even seen a Pomsky. That website is now up and running and generates 2,000, 2,500 in revenue per month. Just about a little niche website about a Pomsky dog breed. I started it as a practice site to practice SEO, what I was just talking about and, and ranking on Google and uh, ended up taking off. And now I'm one of the authority experts in the world on the Pomsky dog breed just because I started blogging about it. And now I sell like training material to train this type of dog. So uh, that's, a, that's a fun little one that always surprises people because nobody's ever heard of a, a Pomsky before. Well, what's interesting is that those are two dogs that I know my daughter really likes, you know, seeing pictures of other people's dogs. I've never seen them together either, but uh, she often talks because we told her that when she turns 10, she can buy a dog. And uh, so maybe I'll have to show her that website, I guess. There you go. Yeah, it uh, just looks like a little husky, but they are really, really energetic. And that's why people need help training them. So might want to be careful about that. Yeah, but it suits her well, for sure, too. Maybe I'll also purchase the things then. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> to speak to those revenue streams on there first, when it comes to that idea, I think this is one of those sort of like demystifying things or removing some of the myths around how simple it can be to an extent, right? So you mentioned training materials. Does that look like PDF, eBooks, also courses, or when you look at $2,500 a month on average that you mentioned, where does that come from? Yeah. So there's a couple of revenue streams here. And this one is like a couple hundred dollars, this revenue stream, a couple hundred here, and they all aggregate together to about 2000, 2500. So one of the big ones, I, I wrote a book, a training book that's self-published on Amazon, Complete Guide to Pomsky Training. It's now the number one selling book for the Pomsky breed. And that really shot me up in the authority rankings. And now that's kind of like made me the authority because I wrote the book on training this dog. So that brings in a couple hundred per month. And that most notably that does is brings me a lot of leads. So people read that and then they know me as the authority. They're now getting on my email list, coming to my website. And there I have a membership where you can join my membership. It's, it's $20 per month, but you can join and interact with all these other Pomsky owners because it's a, it's a very unique dog. There's not a ton of them out there, a ton of owners out there. You don't really just walk down the street and meet another Pomsky owner. So a lot of them come to this group, join my membership to talk to other Pomsky owners because you never, you never see them in your same hometown. And in that membership, I also give a bunch of training material and I send them a free quarterly gift. I'll just send dog toys, dog beds, things like that. Once a quarter, just to say, hey, thanks for being a member. Here's a free gift for your dog. And people love to take pictures of that shared on Facebook. So that works out really well. Uh, and then other revenue streams are affiliate revenue streams. I'll recommend the best dog food, dog toys, and things like that on Amazon, where they read my blog, click a link and go to Amazon, whatever they buy on Amazon, I get commission for. Let's see. So I got the book, the membership and affiliate. Oh, and I also have an affiliate for somebody else's training material, like a professional dog trainer. If you go use his online courses, I get commission if you buy that course. So that's really where all the revenue comes from, from that website. Do you have to maintain blog posts there or how does that work when it comes to such a niche site like that? I'm sure it continues to rank because it continues to rank, but is there some element of upkeep for you? Honestly, not really because the concepts don't change. I found some topics that people are interested in, like how big is this dog going to get, how to train this dog, what type of food does this dog eat, and I'll write about those topics and the content never changes because the, the dog's the same and as more and more people learn about this dog breed, it gets more popular. I'm still up there on Google in the first or second spot, so when people search for, you know, what is a Pomsky, I, I pop up as one of the top results and I teach people all about this dog. So not really much upkeep. I, I'll write a new blog once in a while, but it's not like I'm putting that much work in. In the beginning, I did a lot of blogging, maybe two blog posts per week until I got a lot of content out there. But at this point, I'll write maybe one a month, one a quarter, just if I want to. And I think of a new topic, I'll put a new blog out there. But otherwise, it's, it's really on autopilot. Now, 
clearly you're multi-passionate or able to be that serial entrepreneur as opposed to just sticking to the one thing. Do you think that's like part of your personality or is it because it's better for business? I'll say it's definitely personality. I can't say what's better for business because I, I only do it this way. I feel like maybe if you stick to one thing and just push it really, really hard, you, you could grow it quickly, but I get bored really easily. I can't sit still and work on the same thing. I, I always had to be working on a new project. So I think it's just my personality. And I, I tell people, if you got that same type of personality, go for it. I'd, I'd say put in a year or two per business before you start the next one, because you can't get a new idea every week, try and start a new business every week, because none of them will be successful. But yeah, get it up and running, get it automated, then move on to the next idea, have fun with the next business. So I, I can't help myself. I'll keep starting them and I don't think I'll ever stop. You read my mind because I've been uh, reading The Lean Startup recently, and I'm in the chapter where he discusses the idea of batch production being far more valuable for innovation than trying to do everything at the same time, doing things in sequence. So you read my mind a little bit there because I was going to ask just to give the listeners a bit of a, an understanding of how long it takes to start said Pomsky business from kind of like idea to getting those revenue streams going. What do you think is reasonable? Oh yeah, I would definitely say minimum one year just because you got to put in that work to start getting some traffic to your website, building an authority, creating content, even creating the product. You think about writing a book or a course, that, that takes probably three months at least to do a course and longer to write a book. It, it does take time. So I, I absolutely absolutely recommend a year or two, invest in that business, get it up and running. But then yeah, if you got to scratch that itch and you get to two years and you're, you're thinking, oh, I want to start something else, work on a new project. For me, it's yeah, invest a couple of years automate it the best you can, let it sit on autopilot and scale on its own, then move on to the next project. We'll come back to some business chat for sure, because I just have so many more questions, but we'll save from going too far down that rabbit hole right now. And I just want to ask a little bit, you mentioned college and the traditional education system. When it came to like school growing up, did you find that you were interested in entrepreneurship or and these sorts of things? Or like, what was the learning experience for you, you know, elementary, high school wise that prepared you for this? No, honestly, I didn't even know it was a career path. I never thought I would or could be an entrepreneur. Not until my senior year of college when I started listening to podcasts and listening. I think the first book I read was Tim Ferriss, Four Hour Work Week. That really introduced me to, whoa, you mean an entrepreneur? You can just start a website. It's not, I don't need $50 million in startup capital in the next you know, tech product or healthcare product. I can just go start a website about anything and I can actually support myself financially. So I, I never envisioned myself as an entrepreneur. I, growing up, just followed, I feel like I just kind of fell in line and followed everybody else as, all right, I guess this is what we do with our lives. We we go to school. You know, if you're lucky enough, you go, you go to college, you graduate college and, you know, maybe you get a job doing whatever teacher finance, engineer, whatever you choose. And then you go sit there for 40 years and, and that's it. I, I never really knew entrepreneurship was a thing. Were you a good student growing up? I was, yeah. I, I, decent. I mean, I got A's and B's, so I was had a pretty good GPA and went to college, got good grades there. So I definitely tried through the education traditional path. I always put in the work and got the good grades. But I, I will say I always struggled thinking about what I wanted to do. Even when I went to college, I started through the engineering path because my dad was an engineer. So I was like, okay, I guess this is what I do because it's what I've seen my dad do. Uh, and I really hated it. I just wasn't a big fan of physics or calculus, any of that stuff just wasn't for me. And I wasn't that good at it. Uh, so I switched over to business because I was like, okay, I, I like the research analysis phase of everything. I'll go to business and I'll get a job in business. And hopefully that makes me happy in life. But I was never really confident or happy looking ahead to the future, going through the education system, thinking about what am I going to do with my life? I just kind of saw it as a means to an end, go get a job, you get a paycheck. That's that you retire someday. Not until I figured out entrepreneurship and now it's every day is fun waking up. I get to do whatever I want and build this business. And it's a lot of fun just pushing this business in the direction I want it to go. And then when I get bored, start a new business so I can never get bored. Yeah, it's really cool. And obviously in a relatively short period of time, I'm sure it feels like a long time because you have a ton of experience. You've learned a lot. You are really a veteran in entrepreneurship, but you still have hopefully many years to continue to grow your brand and your own skills and your own abilities. Just going back quickly to that decision to go to the side hustle. That's one of those things that's really, really fascinating to me because a lot of people, as you mentioned, feel that they're kind of stuck. They're wondering what they could do and they get excited if they do something that's personal exciting to them in the evenings, but they don't make that actual leap into the side hustle. I'm sure you meet these clients all the time. What do you think it is that allowed you to go do that versus just continuing to go to the uh, cubicle or office? 
No, honestly, I think it was just years of working the day job and actually being pretty miserable when I go to work and just looking forward to leaving work so I could go work on my businesses and do do more work. And for me, it felt like forever. It, it was seven years. It felt like a lifetime of like every single day just thinking, okay, I got I got to get out of this day job soon. Uh, but also having that fear in the back of my mind that nobody in my family is in entrepreneurship. You know, this isn't the traditional path that I was raised and you know, I, I was sent down this specific path to go corporate job and live the corporate life and, and climb the ladder. That fear in the back of my mind that what if it doesn't work out? Everybody says nine out of 10 businesses fail. So I'm going to get out there, fail and come crawling back to my job and there's no safety net. But honestly, my wife was a big factor in that and really being that support, really supporting me along the way. And every day I'd come home and be like, I really don't want to do this. I want to work on my businesses. Just saying that over and over again until finally she was the one that said like, okay, you're quitting this week. Just quit on Friday because you've already built these businesses up to the point where it's about equal with your day job income. Why not just take that on full time instead of trying to split yourself? and doing 40 hours in the day job and then you come home and do 20 hours here, 30 hours here on the businesses. Just do what you love and take that on full time. And you know, for me, it felt like a lifetime to get to that point. You know, I'm, I'm glad I made it, made that leap and not looking back now. What was that first day like when you sat down to work, cracked your knuckles, and then were like, I'm an entrepreneur? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it was amazing. Man. And then uh, at, at that point, I already planned out the next like three months of what I wanted to work on. So I just like sat down and got to work. But man, it was amazing not showing up and sitting on meetings eight hours a day and listening to everybody else tell me what to do. I just got to sit down, do what I want, do what I love. And man, it was a blast. So still having a blast. So it, it's a lot of fun. If I may, what uh, world of work uh, does your does your wife work, and what does she do? She's an attorney. She's way out of my league, way smarter than me. She's amazing, and uh, kind of took that on as well. And I'm talking doomsday, like whatever everything goes wrong. What what if there's a month with no revenue? She's kind of like, okay, you, you saved up enough on the side. I can switch over to her healthcare. We can get on her healthcare and health insurance and everything like that. You know, nothing's gonna go wrong basically. So so make the leap. We're gonna be okay. You've been making money on the side consistently every single month for the last five or six years now. So nothing's gonna to change when you quit. She was just kind of like, it, it, it's time to move on from the day job. She was a big support and she still holds her job as well. So instead of me working two jobs, her working one, now we're both just working one job, which is nice. Yeah, for sure. I bet that's better for the balance part of it. Uh, let's talk a little bit of logistics and sort of like pragmatic tips. When it comes to that side hustle piece, you meet someone maybe even like at a bus stop or you're at a park walking the dogs or something. They're stuck in the job. They want some help starting that side hustle, but they're like, you know, what do I do? How do I work 90 hours a week? Like, do you have tips or strategies that you remember really helping you? Yeah, honestly, the, the first thing is just finding that idea that's going to work. So kind of like I talked through my my first three business ventures there and how I kind of learned each step of the way. Really, I try people to get people to skip ahead to that third business that I started and really think about those things as what can you do that's going to solve a problem and people actually want to pay for to solve their problem. Basically, what, what are people struggling with and their pain point that you have uh, some type of expertise where you could help to solve that problem? Making sure it's in your wheelhouse, kind of like I, I messed up with the clothing line there. And then just validating it, just making sure, okay, I have this grand idea. I know it solves a pain point. Is somebody willing to pay for this? Can I put a product out there? So Somebody's actually going to pay me money for it. Will this business actually work if I start selling this product? Because it's great. People tell you they're going to, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll buy this product. Sounds like a great idea. Everyone's going to be nice and say that. But when push comes to shove and you actually put it out there, is somebody going to pull out their wallet, hand it over and pay you $20 for that course or $100 for that course, whatever it is? If so, then you're onto something. You, you've got an idea people are willing to pay for. It solves a problem. Then you can take off with that business. So that that's usually what I start people with is looking for the pain points, solving that problem that people have and are willing to pay for. Beyond that, it's just being, uh, as Joe Rogan says, caffeinated and motivated in the evenings <laughs> to get down to work. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Carving out a little time each day. Yeah. When I when I worked my day job, I took the train to work every day. So it was about 45 minutes to an hour there every day, about an hour back. Uh, so that's what I was doing. I'd pull up my laptop and I would be writing a blog on the train to work. My lunch break, I would take that in half an hour to one hour lunch break, take it to myself. I'd go across the street to a cafe or something, pull out my computer, answer emails, work on the website where I had Wi-Fi. Then back on the train home, I'm working on a book or working on a blog. So just carving out those little pockets of time, whatever you have is just, if you can get an hour a day, two hours a day, that adds up over a month, a year, that adds up really quick if you can put in a couple hours each day. And that's definitely something that I feel is uh, often underestimated is that ability to kind of be efficient with people's time and that sort of thing. And then the next step naturally becomes you're coaching this person eventually, they're going from side hustle. At what point do you work with them to kind of take that full leap? Because that's definitely one of the biggest questions that people have. 
It, it definitely depends on the person. Uh, I, I'm really risk adverse, so I waited until I basically matched my day job income, and then I was still stressing to leave my day job. I tell people leave <laughs> leave the job much sooner than that, especially if you are making substantial revenue, you're all set up with your LLC, and all that stuff is covered. It's time to make that leap, but it, it definitely depends on each person. I would say if you're usually will look at expenses, see, see what your monthly expenses are. Are you going to cover that? What do you have in savings? Can you build up a little nest egg while you have your day job? Tuck aside a couple hundred, maybe a thousand per month and build up a little fail safe just in case. Then if you're about halfway to your day job income, um, it's, it's probably time to leave because you're going to free up a bunch of extra time to really push your business and, and push it forward. So once you're making that revenue, once you validated the idea, it's time. I, I'm a little more cautious than most. So I, I like to see people proving it for a year or two on the side, making sure that monthly revenue is coming in uh, before making that leap. But I've worked with clients that are like, hey, it's been six months. I've been making a thousand dollars per month. I'm comfortable to make the jump. Like I'm ready to do it. And I'm like, yeah, I know you're going to crush it because you got that confidence. You're ready. You've seen the success track. You've already got to plan out what you're doing next when you get 40 hours a week back in your life to push this business forward. Like I see the path to success once you have more time. The only thing in your way is your job. So then it's time to leave. That makes sense. If it's one of the last roadblocks to go, then uh, take that leap. Mm -hmm. What about things that I'm sure you have them in your mind all the time, maybe Elon Musk-like and that it can make our brains kind of spin sometimes with ideas? Is there anything in particular that you're not giving away too much IP that you think like you would love to do in the future or you've passed up on because you just don't have time to do? Yeah, you know, I've got a big list of ideas. I, I keep logging about it every time I find an idea. I like the crazy niche ideas, fun little ideas that uh, most people don't think of that can be a business. So um, in the book that I just wrote, uh, one of the examples I gave was about the niche of houseplants, which is apparently a lot of opportunity there to start a blog and a business about growing houseplants. Because the way I build my businesses basically is I want to find something that there's not a ton of competition and I can blog about a bunch of various topics or create podcasts or anything like that uh, about something that people are passionate about. In the book that I wrote, I broke it down a bunch of research and finding I just looked around my house and I saw some some plants in the corner and I was like, all right, let's see, let's see if there's a business idea there. Turns out there's just there's just, as you can imagine, so many variations of of house plants that uh, you could just pick one of them. The one I gave an example of in the book is the bonsai tree. And I took that one and showed how that could be a viable business if you started blogging about bonsai trees and these specific topics growing and you could create a whole course about how to grow this tree from a seed. Uh, there's affiliate programs out there to sell this type of tree and type of plant. So that is always a fun example that I like to give and that I gave in the book as just a crazy little thing that you probably never thought of. But here's a path to how you can make $5,000 per month about this type of plant that you grow in your house. Another one I saw wasn't my idea, but I saw on a marketplace of a, a website for sale. Somebody was selling a website about tire pressure the appropriate tire pressure for your vehicle. And that website was making $3,000 per month in passive income, just a website blogging about tire pressure for vehicles. And those are the ones that kind of make me laugh. And I, I'm always interested in because it's like, who would have ever thought about that? And they're out there making substantial money that could probably support someone financially without a day job about tires. Honestly, I would say my favorite one though is looking at your day job. That's how I started my most successful business is looking at what you do every single day in your job. Even if you're working a high school job, a job in college, or just a part-time job, uh, you can find something there to start a business, whether it's something you're studying for at the job like I did with these exams, you know, even as simple as a program or something that you use, maybe it's this certain type of cash register that you use at your part-time job and you can teach other people how to use this and give training manuals on how to use it. That's often where I tell people to start looking. It's just like sit down at your job, look around. What are you an expert at? And what are you a master at around you? It's probably something there you can teach or create a website about, create a business around, even if it's just a, a program or like me study material exams or training people how to work the same job that you do. So those are some of the areas that I like to look first. We do very similar work in that a lot of people that I support as clients are youth really struggling with finding clarity about what they want to do. And those are the conversations that make me feel the most alive. So I can only imagine adding the element of niche business, which is clearly quite fun. I want to ask you about a hundred more ideas. It, it's probably exciting times, I'm sure, when you're working with clients. One thing that I'm very interested in kind of clarifying or going through for people, let's just use a round number like 10. So let's say you have 10 
10 of these niche businesses up and running. They're running on their own because you built them in sequence. Do any of them connect at all and support each other? Or would you say that it's best recommended people just leave them as separate entities? So... A little of both. I mean, I, I will say at least what I do is, like I said, I get bored easily. So I like focusing on a totally different niche, totally different topic. And I like doing something totally different than what I was already working on. So I like to have unique businesses that are just totally different from one another, don't really attach in that way. But I do share the same systems. So if I have an email management system, all 10 businesses are going to be using the same email management system, just split out, obviously not sending the same emails to the whole list, sending emails to that specific people for each business. Same as like hosting, websites, all that stuff. Uh, I, I use WordPress, so I use Thrive Themes, which is just the, basically a drag and drop page builder to build a website. All of my businesses are under the same corporate entity, so they're all under one LLC. They're all using the same programs, and so that way it's really easy for me to, I can honestly just copy the homepage of one website over to another new website that I'm creating and just change the, the heading, change the photos and everything, and all of a sudden I got a new business up and running. So it makes it really easy for me to just rinse and repeat and start a new business, just change the topic. So that's why I say it's a little bold because I, I share the systems and programs, but in terms of business idea, totally separate and, and not the same in any way. Well, and this is the first moment where I've felt like it, it's kind of a, a selfish question because it's always been one of my weaknesses to have something that's so broad. And even within that broad thing, it just took so long to gain traction and now it's going well. But if I could go back and learn from what you're telling me now, four years later, I would have went very niche in the beginning. But I have a topic of learning, which as you can imagine, <laughs> is hard to rank mm -hmm. anywhere in it's Google. Pretty broad. It's very mm -hmm. broad. It's interesting because the concept of just keep learning though, I will say is uh, much like that jo Dory song of just yeah. keep swimming <laughs> in um, Nemo and finding Dory. And uh, I believe it, it still ranks in Google. So there's some good news there, but I've learned a lot over the years from having mentors and uh, collaborating with people such as yourself and would certainly go back at that point. But an example within that right now, NFTs are all the rage. And so that's something that I know people are literally asking me about about, can you help me with this for NFTs? It's a good example of something that I may want to look at doing some sort of educational content around. My plan was to create blog posts on our overall learning thing. Do you think that would be a good idea to just go create something completely separate? For me, I would create that a whole separate entity where it's all about NFTs. That way nobody's confused. If they're looking for NFTs, they find your website about NFTs. There we go. All the information's there rather than, oh, wait, he also does stuff about learning. Oh, he's also got all these podcast guests. Like, what am I here for? NFTs or is it, is it the learning? So that's one where I would say spin it off and also use it as a case study for your just learning website. Talk about it on the podcast and say, hey, here's a case study of what I'm doing and what's working, what's not. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, it's such a serendipitous moment, but that's something that I was literally like minutes away from doing. I was planning on publishing the first piece of content tonight. So that's interesting. And now you've got me thinking and I may have a tiny bit more work to do, but I think it's going to end up being less work. So that's fascinating. <laughs> when it comes to the idea of the entrepreneur ride along, I wanted to make sure that I did ask about that regardless of where we went with businesses, because I know when I was doing a little bit of research, that was the main thing that I was able to find. Why don't you just mention a little bit about that business? Is that where all the coaching and that stuff happens? That's the brand that you have that under? Exactly. So yeah, the entrepreneur ride along is where I meet with entrepreneurs, coach entrepreneurs. I publish, I have a podcast, uh, the Entrepreneur Ride Along podcast. I do a lot of blogging there. That's really where it's just a basically a live case study. I mentioned all my businesses where I write about those, what's working, my experience, what worked, what didn't work. I write about my failures, plenty there. Hey, avoid this. Like one one that I didn't get into, I, I tried an Amazon FBA product at one point and it, it did not work at all. I lost thousands of dollars because I did everything wrong. So there's a big chunk of the website that's like, hey, if you're doing Amazon FBA, FBA. I don't really know how to do it right, but I know how to do it wrong. So here's a bunch of things that I learned. And it's uh, it's really one of my opportunities to, since I love starting new businesses, you know, I, I love this niche business world. It's kind of my excuse where I get to keep starting new businesses and that just feeds content to the entrepreneur ride along where I keep learning, I keep building new businesses and I keep sharing. Here's what's working. Here's what's not. And uh, that, that feeds into then my coaching practice makes me a better coach because I'm learning all these new experiences about social media and, and SEO and email 
email marketing conversion that I can then teach to my coaching clients. So that all kind of ties into the entrepreneur ride along. And one of my big passions is is writing. So a couple more books that I'm planning to write for that business that will then feed into my other products and services. So, so that's really what I'm doing at the entrepreneur ride along. Would you say that the entrepreneur ride along is where the majority, if not all of your personal branding lives? 100%. Yeah. All my other businesses, I try to keep myself at least, um, I try not to make it all about me. I, I, I try to keep it more about the consumer. Hey, here's how you pass your exams. Like I tell them who I am and I'm honest about who I am, but I try to make it more about them. So it's, it's not my personal brand at all. Entrepreneur ride along, fully my personal brand. Hey, here's me. I'm Jake. Here's everything about my life and what I'm working on. Definitely more my personal brand. Because that's one of the interesting things is that we work so hard to build these brands and reputation, networking, so on and so forth, that I think that's one of the main reasons why people don't go create the niche business because they're like, well, I've worked so hard over here. How do I now go spend my time over there? I guess the short answer is it's just worth it, right? Yeah, like for your NFT example, I see that as when you go out there and you're a guest on podcast or you're, you're guest blogging for people, or you're at a conference speaking, you'll be known as the NFT guy because you'll, you'll be there and say, okay, go to my website, you know, justinsnft.com or whatever it ends up being. So they know, okay, I'm going to go here, learn everything Justin has to say about NFTs rather than, hey, go to uh, Just Learn Podcast and, and website where it's like, okay, I see it's the NFT guy is also education, also doing this and this. So it's a little more confusing about when you're out there in the world. It's like, okay, he's an expert on a bunch of topics. That's great, but I just want the expertise on this one topic. And then so from the entrepreneur ride along, do you ever share any of your other businesses? I guess the answer is yes, because you have those as case studies and it kind of could lead as a, to use an annoying word, top of the funnel towards your other businesses as well. It can, but it often doesn't just because there's not a ton of crossover between somebody studying for those insurance exams that are also, I mean, I'm sure there are people out there interested in entrepreneurship, but it doesn't really lead from somebody that's reading all my entrepreneurship content that says, oh, whoa, I'm studying for these very specific exams. I'm going to go buy his courses. So it it does help a little bit with um, SEO and brand recognition and and Google just picks up that, okay, he's talking about these other websites that he owns must be another authoritative source because he's linking from this one website to that website and talking about it. So Google likes to see that as that helps with like SEO rankings and stuff like that a little bit. But other than that, not, not a ton of traffic from one website to the other. Right. And that's what I was curious about was, do you backlink to them? And so because it could help people quite a bit in a very short period of time, you're an expert in it. This idea of SEO that I I think we've mentioned at least four or five, maybe six times. What's the kind of like, I've never heard of it before. When I think of blogging, I think of like, hey, I had a peanut butter sandwich for lunch today and you know, life is good and it's raining outside. A lot of people still think that that's what blogging is. So when you use the term blogging to build your businesses, what are you referring to? Yeah, for me, it's all about getting traffic from Google or from search, from any search engine. When somebody goes to Google and types in entrepreneurship or business ideas, I want my blogs or my website to show up in one of those first results because we all know we all use Google and we go there and we search something. We're probably going to click on one of the first three or four links and get our answer on some some blog post or some website. So that's what I do for blogging. And that's what, I, that's what SEO is, search engine optimization. You are trying to find a phrase that people are searching for on Google or on the internet and write a blog about it really detailed that answers everybody's answers their questions and covers the topic in detail uh, that will then show up on Google when somebody searches it so they find you organically so rather than me going out there paying for marketing and, and paying for advertising and trying to capture somebody out there maybe Facebook marketing or something like that where I'm trying to capture somebody from Facebook and pay for them to send them to my website instead it's it's free it's organic I just get to write about a topic and then when somebody searches it I show up in the results and they go from the search results to my website where they can see my products, services, email list. So it's kind of like strategic blogging where you're doing it with a purpose, writing about what people are searching for. You're writing the blog to answer their questions so that when they find it on Google, you answer their questions. They then trust you as an authority on that topic. So off the top of your head, what are quick SEO hacks or tips? I, I say the big thing is keyword research. And that really just means uh, there, there's a bunch of tools out there. The one that I use is called Longtail Pro. And it will basically show you what are people searching on Google related to a topic. So I type in entrepreneurship. It'll give me 20 results related to entrepreneurship that people are searching for. Here's a specific key phrase that they are typing into Google. I'm going to take that and say, okay, I can write about niche site ideas as one that I 
wrote about. That was a keyword that I found that I ranked for. That should be in the top three or four results still. So I was like, okay, perfect. That's that's exactly what I talked about anyway. So that was my blog topic, 25 niche website ideas. And um, when people search niche site ideas, I show up on Google and they end up finding my, my blog. So that's the big one that a lot of people miss uh, because like you said, they're just blogging about daily life. They're not really writing about anything in particular. So Google doesn't pick up on it. Nobody finds it unless you're out there sharing it on your Facebook or sharing it on social media. Nobody's going to find it on Google because you're not writing about anything that people are searching for. You keep reading my mind because again, with so many businesses and being this serial entrepreneur, which is really neat because in a lot of episodes, we've had business owners, but not as many people that are serial entrepreneurs, you know, and this just makes complete sense. But continuing to break it down for people, I know one question would be, do you have social channels for all of these? Do you pick a social channel like Instagram per business you build? Or where does the social media, which is all the rage these days, kind of come into it? I'll say I don't do a ton of social media. I focus primarily on blogging, but I do have a couple social channels and it depends on the website too. My insurance website, I tried doing Facebook, tried doing Instagram. Nobody is on Facebook that wants to read about insurance exams. It just doesn't work. Nobody's out there liking my page about insurance exams. So instead I have a podcast and YouTube channel. That's where my market hangs out. They want to listen to me lecture about this exam. Whereas the, the Pomsky website, that kills it on Facebook because everybody's sharing pictures of this cute little dog and Instagram too. And that thing just grows like crazy on Facebook because that's where my market is. Everybody's sharing and talking about this cute little dog picture. The entrepreneur ride along, I could branch out into social media, but I don't do a ton. I really focus on the the one-on-one connections, podcasting, a little YouTube, primarily blogging, Um, but I almost do nothing on social media there. And it works just fine because my business model is really more about connecting one-on-one with people. And usually it's somebody listens to my podcast, emails me with a question, we start chatting and then we jump on a coaching call and, and that's how my clients are booked. So it really depends on the business and if social media is right for that type of business. I just think that's a really good thing for people to hear because there's that belief right now that you need to kind of be across all socials and that that micro content, which can be helpful, obviously, but can also be more of a drain or a hamster wheel for people, I'm sure. Uh, So that's really good for people to hear that you can succeed without necessarily a whole bunch of socials. Makes me think of something else with so many things going on. Do you have a team behind you or is it just you? I do. I have right now about four virtual assistants that help me out with various tasks. One of them is really focused on online course creation. So all of my online courses, well, I should say my insurance online courses are all text-based because it's like reading a textbook online, which is what people preferred. Instead of me going and programming the course, which takes hours and hours and it's frustrating and technical, I just write it all up in a Word document. I send it over to my assistant and she programs the online course. So it just saves me a ton of time there. Uh, Same in social media, actually, the the Pomsky website. I don't do any of the social media. My assistant does that. She uses the program Hootsuite. She goes in once a week, schedules it out for a week and we have our little process of, okay, we're going to post a blog on this day, picture on this day, affiliate blog once a week. And we follow that cadence and she goes out and does that for me. That is a a big aspect of what I do is it's hard to manage all these businesses at once. So you definitely need the help once you get to that point, once you got two or three of them and you're being pulled all over the place, answering emails every day. And at the same time, trying to build a project for this, uh, a product for this next business is bringing on an assistant. Um, I use upwork.com. You can find freelancers there that will just help you out with various tasks, data entry, social media, web design. So I, I got a little team there and they'll, they'll probably work, I don't know, 10 to 15 hours per week for me, uh, which is 10 to 15 hours per week saved for me, probably more because it would take me longer to do all the stuff that they do. So definitely recommended once you get to that level of, of managing multiple businesses. Yeah, it was starting to add up in my the back of my head there a little bit in terms of all these different things that would be kind of running simultaneously, which is really pretty fascinating. Uh, have you ever co-founded or collaborated on a business with someone else? No, I, I haven't actually. I've never um, co-founded a business with everybody. I do a lot of collaboration like this, like we meet up and share each other's content and interview each other and that type of collaboration. But no, I've actually, uh, that's something I'd be interested in the future is a, a partnership collaboration like that because that would be a fun project, but uh, nothing yet. Yeah, I think so. One thing I would hate to forget to mention before we wrap here is the book drop. Uh, the book launch was what led me to your content in the first place. So, you know, that part of the business was working. But uh, tell us about the book. Was it your first book? So first book for this website, I've, I've wrote other books in the past for other websites, but this was by far the one I was most nervous for. And I, I'll say I cared the most about because it's a topic that I'm passionate about. So uh, yeah, the book launched in early September. It's called Step One. So steponebook.com. 
Um, it's basically the process of how to find and validate a online business idea and get your business up and running. So the main topic I talk about on my coaching calls and with my coaching clients, and I take you through the exact same process that I've learned over the years to find an idea, make sure that it's a valid idea, uh, make sure there's a big enough market size, talk to your target market and validate that there's a pain point you can solve and how to get that business launched. So in one of the chapters, I take you through, I call it the brain dump exercise. It's in chapter three, and it's just a bunch of really simple questions that you go through, answer the simple questions. And by the end, you come up with over 150 business ideas. And then I take you through the steps to narrow that list down from 150 down to 10, down to three, down to the one final one best idea. Um, and that's where you leave the book, come away with your idea, validated, ready to start that business. So it's been a lot of fun to, to write and to uh, publish that book. And yeah, it was just a blast writing it because I love talking about it. You just gave me an idea for a piece of content. Maybe I will get that book and go through those exercises on a stream or something. That might be a fun thing to try. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, it'll be good. Cross promotion as well. Oh, let me know if you uh, want me to come back on and talk about it. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be fun. I would love it. So one of the things that I often do in terms of like a sort of final question, because I often work with people really specifically wanting to achieve something in specific uh, stages in their life that are kind of a difficult struggle or what have you, is I often role play or give like a case study. <laughs> What's interesting is I think you already answered this really, to be honest. The idea that I had jotted down was uh, if you had met a teen, a student that I had recently uh, knows when they get out, they really want to go be an entrepreneur and start their own business. What is the process that you would take them through if you had a couple hours to coach them? Yeah, I, I would say similar to what we talked through. And it's actually kind of what the book is about as well is really just looking around your life. Uh, like we talked about earlier, looking at your job or just even looking around the room. One of my clients found his business idea. I talk about this in the book. I just said, look at what's on your walls. And he pointed at something that was from uh, from the army. He had served in the army years back. And that ended up being his business as he teaches people how to get promoted in the army. Just from looking around the room, he found his business idea. Yeah, if I was to, uh, to talk to a teen and uh, just, just looking to start a business, that's definitely the process I would take them through is that brainstorming exercise of like, what are you passionate about? What could you sit down and, and talk about every single day? Or what in your life do you have an opportunity in? Do you see people struggling with? Uh, what do people come to ask you about, ask for help with? Uh, maybe even your experiences going through the challenges in life that you faced and you can teach other teens how to, how to go through that uh, same process, how you made it through and the struggles that you faced and, and how you overcame it. Tips and, and guides uh, and coaching to get other people through the same challenges that you faced in life. Now, might, I think will be very powerful. Definitely the first thing I would look at is just like what in your immediate circle, your immediate life can you start with that, that you can help people, serve people or solve a problem. And then does the next step become start creating content around that for a period of time? Yeah, for me, it's a mix of creating content and validating. Uh, so let's just say you, you did the part, you, you found the business idea, you, you talked to some people and you're like, okay, other people have this pain point, same as me, that validates that I, I'm on the right track. For me, since I love creating content. I'm going to teach people to cut their own hair. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> cut hair. You know, that, that's everybody wants to do it. Save that 20 bucks from the barber, put them out of business. But my, my first thing would be create creating content and whether it's a, a blog, a YouTube, a podcast, picking one channel, uh, whether you like the, the audio, visual, writing. For me, it's writing, so I choose blogging and start creating content. It'd be five to six blog posts or something like that to start and just get some content on your website and get something out there. And that starts building traction, just gets people to see you as an authority, as an expert. They start reading your blog, connecting with you, emailing you. Uh, maybe you have an email list and they join your email list. And at that point, once you get a little bit of traffic and people are interested seeing what you're doing, then you can start figuring out what products and services they want to buy. So at this point, you already have a, have a sense, okay, people want to learn how to cut their own hair. What's going to be the best way to do that? Do you want a book? Do you want a course? Do you want me to coach you one-on-one, -on -one, come to your house and show you how I cut my own hair? Maybe. And it's finding out what people want to buy from you that would solve that problem and then trying to sell it and see if people will buy it. And usually for me, I do the whole MVP, minimum viable product thing where what's the simplest form of this product that I can make and sell that would validate this idea that people want to buy it. So for example, my, my book that I wrote for step one, the book, I sold 10 copies of that book before I ever wrote the first word. Went out to people in my market that I had conversations with, I knew were struggling with this problem, and I pitched it to them. I was like, hey, I'm thinking about writing this book. I'm putting it on pre-sale right now, $10. It, it's gonna be $20, $25, whatever it is when it goes live. But if you wanna join the pre-sale, I'll give you every chapter as I finish writing it. So you're gonna get the content within every week or two as I'm writing new chapters. You know, if you're interested, it's $10 if you like the idea. I had 10 people sign up. I think I offered it to 20 people, 10 people signed up. So that validated, wow, 
somebody wants to pay me for this before I even created it, before I wrote the first word. So I know other people are going to be interested in this idea. I'm going to go spend the next three months writing this and publishing this. Did you email them, direct message them? What was the method to that madness? Email, direct message. Some people were already, I'd say like two people were clients that I connected with and I was already on a free coaching call with them connecting and I pitched it to them live. But uh, most of what I do was uh, some people I, I had actually never met before. I was on Reddit and I was helping a couple entrepreneurs on the entrepreneurship subreddit. And I we had gone through commenting back and forth. I'd solved a couple of their problems. I kind of knew they had this challenge. So I sent them a direct message and just said, hey, this is what I'm working on. Like, uh, you know, if you're interested, interested, uh, let me know. I'll send you over more information. I got three or four sales that way from total strangers on social media that had never met me before. So just email social media to people that are having this challenge. Here's a product that can solve your problem. But by the way, it's not written yet. Just so you know, uh, you're going to get it in a couple of months, but uh, you'll, I'll drip out the content to you. So you get some value along the way. Well, it's another great lesson. There's been so many in this episode that it's just jam-packed with value. It's definitely one we'll have to run back in the future and do again because uh, I'm sure there'll be many more updates over the years. I do finish with some themed questions. They're kind of that more rapid fire style that a lot of podcasts like to do. What's a piece of advice that you would leave for the next generation? Um, you know, I would say maybe something along the lines of like, you know, be different and pursue what makes you happy. Like the conversation that we had earlier of following that traditional education path and just kind of following along with the flow because this is where society and education is pushing you. Um, don't just follow along with the flow. If, if you see a different path that maybe nobody else is taking, but you feel it's the right path for you, go for it and, and be different. Don't be scared to be different because, you know, as you saw with me, it took me too long to realize I can step out and be different. I wish I started so much earlier and I wish I, I knew that years ago. I think almost anyone tells that part of the story. I'm definitely in that boat myself. Uh, I have interviewed a couple teens who figured it out quite young, but definitely that'll be really valuable. What about one thing you yourself are learning that's maybe surprising to others off topic that you're interested in learning? Uh, I, I'm really interested in learning about property investing lately. I'm, I'm looking at long-term, uh, since I kind of have that finance background, I'm always looking at, okay, I'm, I'm generating revenue here. What else, what other business ventures can I take? I know nothing about property investing, just bought our first home last year. So just brand new to the whole real estate world, but you know, just, just reading books on it from other famous entrepreneurs, you know, the, the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I read that years back and that kind of sparked the idea in my mind. So I always thought, oh, you know what, if I, if I sell one of these businesses, I could take some of that capital and, and buy a rental property and build up a little real estate portfolio because I've seen so many successful people doing that, that I like that follow their blueprint and seems to be working. So I'm learning that and totally off topic, I'm learning how to surf because I've always wanted to surf and I, I live on the coast in Maine. It's a little cold right now, but just started learning to surf now that I live on the ocean. So that's, that's a new passion for me that I'm trying to pursue. So will we see two new businesses, one tied to real estate investing and one tied to surfing? Uh, you know, I already looked up both of those and tried to see if there was an opportunity there. I, I will say property investing, very competitive because there's a lot of brilliant minds out there already. Opportunity. Surfing, I was surprised, not as much opportunity as I would have expected because it's so popular. It's 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 a you know, popular sport. But if, if you go through my book, step one, it, it didn't meet the criteria that I lay out in there as being a, a viable niche business. Maybe for somebody, if they can create like video surf lessons, but uh, not as much opportunity as I thought for, for people searching for how to surf online. You've completely sold me on going into chapter one and subsequent chapters in your book. So that's what I'm going to do pretty much right when I get off of this, maybe tomorrow at the latest, but <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. If you were to ask me a question about all this stuff, what would it be? I'll flip the script on your last question. I want to know what is your current learning goal? What are you learning right now? Definitely. It seems almost like uh, annoying to say it now that we just talked about it already as well, but um, certainly the world of NFTs seems to come with it a lot of snake oil right now and <laughs> a lot of uh, people out out there to mm -hmm. make money quickly and not really concerned about values mm -hmm. around the business that they're building. And I feel that it's going to have a huge educational component and impact beyond just people using it as like a cheap investment tool right now. So I'm really interested in figuring out a lot more around the idea of NFTs, but how to be one of those more positive leaders in the space. But that's a bit boring because I said it already. I always go back to uh, to music. I, I never uh, learned music at all from theory or how to play an instrument or anything as a kid. And that's one of those things that I kind of wish I had done. So in small little tidbits, I'm picking up things about, uh, about music. Nice, like uh, an, an instrument or a theory? A lot of the, the kids that I've worked with over 
over the years are really big into hip hop. And I've always loved all genres of music, but the poetry and stuff that goes into a seemingly kind of like bravado type uh, genre is really interesting to me because it's essentially poetry, right? And so figuring out what does it take to actually make the music that goes into it. So like keyboard typically, um, and what creates the music behind it? How do you write for it? How do you produce and edit kind of in the hip hop world? There could be a, a niche business right there. And also, actually, that'd be a good topic for your podcast, just just what you're learning. I'd want, I'd want to hear that and how you're learning all this and, and what steps you're taking. So there's a new podcast episode. Well, and that that's interesting because, yeah, I mean, we'll have to talk offline and and here's hoping this sparks uh, many years of mutually supporting each other because, yeah, that that's kind of the idea behind my content and why I use the handle Just Tries is because Carol Dweck's book on growth mindset is one of the most underestimated things in the world of education right now. Uh, the idea that if kids can learn and adults, as you have very much learned, how to pursue their passions or how to learn as an adult, that's the most important thing we can unlock. And then we just get out of the way because people will go learn what they want to learn. I've taught that for many years. It doesn't work teaching it from the outside in. And what I really want to do is model that. And so what I try and do is learn something for a period of time and showcase going from, I don't know what the hell I'm doing in singing to I do somewhat know now. And with that comes a lot of confusing content because it's always different, right? So does that become I'm learning golf, so that's a business. I'm learning hip hop, so that's a business. I'm learning how to draw, so that's a business. And that is the challenge that I face. Yeah, I'd say I face that same challenge of like every single new thing that I learn. I was like, oh, this could be a business. But I've had to learn to just keep some things as, as passions and as just fun learning experiences. Not everything has to be a business that, okay, I just love learning to surf. It doesn't necessarily have to be a business. I just like getting out there. But uh, yeah, I, I love hearing what you're saying about the whole learning aspect versus education because I feel like that's something nobody really talks about. At least I didn't learn until I was older that once you get out of school, you're not, you're not being taught anything new. So if you don't go out and pursue and, and read, listen to podcasts, take courses, meet mentors, you stop learning if you don't keep pursuing learning. And that's uh, dangerous if you stop learning. So it's uh, good that you're teaching people that and, and people seeing you do it yourself. I, I think it'll be very motivational and, and I encourage everybody to do the same. Well, I appreciate that. It's taken me a very long time to explain it from my crazy mind, but uh, I think I'm getting better at it. And uh, <laughs> it means a lot hearing that from you. So uh, in wrapping, I guess I'll ask if there's anything that you feel you left out, feel free to chat about it and uh, where and why people can find you online. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think we covered a good amount of it. So if you want to reach out to me, you can just shoot me an email. I love meeting new people. So that's jake at theentrepreneurridealong.com. Uh, you can check out all my content on the podcast at theentrepreneurridealong.com. And you can check out the book at steponebook.com. That's that's about it. That's like, uh, that's basically my whole life right now. Well, you're a super uh, humble entrepreneur amidst all this success. I only wish you a lot more and I'm sure there's many more great things to come. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I look forward to collaborating more in the future. Look forward to it. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I can't say enough how much I appreciate it. If I can make one ask, it's that you leave a review for the show and or pass it on to someone who it may help. Thank you to our guest, Jake. Definitely check out what he's up to if you have an interest in building your own business. Remember, if you like quick, specific content to help you learn to own your big dreams, then check out some of the solo episodes that will help you get those ambitions going. The episode cards are white with a cartoon of me on them. And if you have something or someone you think would be great for the show, just let us know. You're one step closer to making your big dreams come true, but there's plenty more where that came from. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you know anyone who might love the show, send them a link. We'll see you next time on Just Keep Learning with Justin at Just Tries.